0: Hey, thanks for tuning in to Cross Defense. Today on the show, we're talking about sexual immorality. We're taking a survey of what the New Testament has to say about sexual immorality, looking at the Bible verses that bring it up, so that we know for sure, without a shadow of a doubt, that it's a sin. And why do I emphasize that? Well, because you might think by looking at our American culture, that Christians think it's not that big of a deal. Stay tuned. Cross Defense is coming up right now. Welcome, friend, to Cross Defence. This is the show that aims to equip the mind, that aims to excite the imagination, that aims to comfort the soul, and aims to do all of that with God's Word, both His law and His gospel. I'm your host, Reverend Tyrell Bramwell. I'm the pastor of St. Mark Lutheran Church way out here in Ferndale, California, where we are the only church publicly standing against sexual immorality and are therefore the only church in Ferndale honored to be hated for Christ's sake. And it is indeed an honor. Sexual immorality, that is the topic for today's show. Sex outside of marriage of all stripes. Our culture doesn't treat sex outside of marriage like it's a sin, we don't even treat it like a, like a social faux pas, a taboo. Now, if you think the LGBTQ pride push is something different from the rise of the porn industry, from sex trafficking, hookup culture, and all of our, our society's general laissez-faire attitude toward extramarital sex, all of which happens to be joined at the hip to the abortion industry, well then, friend, you're not seeing the big picture. All of the sexual immorality that has come to define the American cultural experience is part of the same diabolical battle. And maybe you might say, I live in a bubble out here on the Lost Coast. Uh, It is California after all, but I don't think so. I don't think it's a bubble. See, daily, I witness people who call themselves Christian and yet think sexual immorality is no big deal. But I think you do too. They think that, you know, the Bible doesn't really deal with it, sex outside of marriage, over and over and over and over and over again. No, no, no. We're deep into the depravity of parents assuming their teenage children are having sex outside of marriage, obviously, because they're teenagers. Netflix and chill and all of that. We're deep into the depravity of parents assuming their preteen children are masturbating to porn just like their public school teachers taught them. We take for granted that every single adult is sexually active. We just assume so. Married or unmarried. Isn't that what dating's for, right? Who needs to get married? When you can live an unattached, self-serving lifestyle and, you know, when the burning sensation of lust gets too much for you and Pornhub isn't available, you can go to the bar or to the club with your friends and find an attractive-looking mobile meat muppet over there who happens to also be horny, hook up and satisfy your selfish sensation, and then get back to your selfish, wasted life. This is how people who bear the name Christ think. This is what we have come to think is normal. So today, here on Cross Defense, we're going to take a survey of the New Testament verses that mention sexual immorality. Just the New Testament, we only have an hour. And let's see if if it's not that big of a deal to God. I think what we're going to find is that our contemporary views on unwedded sex are delusions that we have a debased cultural mind. Now, if you have something you'd like to say on today's topic, you can always send it to me. We'd love to hear from you at stmarksferndale.com slash contact. That's S-T-M-A-R-K-S, ferndale.com slash contact. All right, my friends, here we go. I hope this is uh, gonna push against the temptation to treat extramarital sex flippantly, as we remember what God's word says about such a thing. And no, it doesn't matter. Despite what people say, it doesn't matter that it's 2023. God is unchanging, and so is his word. We haven't advanced beyond scripture. No matter what your progressive Christian cousin says, God's word remains. Oh, and should the scoffers want to accuse me of being legalistic, let us not forget that the law is good and holy, and that we use both God's law and his gospel for the sake of our neighbors, depending on what their conscience needs. And I think, and it's my humble opinion, that this is exactly where the church is failing today. We're afraid to speak the law to unrepentant Christians. Forget about the world. We're talking to unrepentant Christians, those who bear the name Christ, who claim to believe in Jesus, but then endorse and live in sin. And we are not speaking the law to such people. We are not bringing the law to bear on people like this, Christians, who promote this sin. If this isn't a time for the law, and I don't know when is. Let us remember Romans 6, 1 to 2. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, Paul says. How can we who die to sin still live in it? And also verses 11 to 15. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. To make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law but grace. What then? Are we to sin? Because we are not under law, but grace? By no means. We do not keep on sinning simply because we know we are saved by Christ Jesus. In fact, that knowledge makes us not want to sin. Okay, so I'm gonna leave that there. That'll suffice. And you can uh, tell me whatever you think about me in the comments or in the email, whatever. So, Are you ready for a survey of the New Testament passages on sexual immorality? Good. I hope so. Here we go. Matthew 5, 32. This is Jesus speaking. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Matthew 15, 19 to 28. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. What defiles a person? (laughs) Yes, sexual immorality. Matthew 19, 9 to 12. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with, this, with his wife, it's better not to marry. But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. That the one who is able to receive this received it. In Mark seven twenty one, we read, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within and they defile a person. What comes from within? What defiles a person? Oh yeah, sexual immorality, unwedded sexual activity. And as we know from the Sixth Commandment's explanation in the small catechism, that includes not only what we do with our bodies, but what we say about what we do with our bodies. Oh, and this one here, this one kicks against our sin saluting culture on multiple fronts, so pay attention, my friend. John 8, 41 says, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. A slave doesn't remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father. And you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works of your father, what he did. They said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Sexual sin is the result of Satan's lying, my friends. So we notice there that they don't want to be considered born out of wedlock as the result of sexual immorality. But we also notice that in general terms, sexual sin is the result of Satan's lying, murderous ways. The one who promotes unwedded sex is a child of the devil in need of repentance. And for all of the, the gospel reductionists and their live generously t-shirts, hating God's word, we have Acts 15, 19 and 20. The context here is the Jerusalem council. They're considering whether or not Gentiles need to be circumcised. And James says, therefore my judgment is, is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but we should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. So, James is saying, keep it simple, stupid, and just have them abstain from a few things like sexual immorality. American Christianity, if only we could keep it simple, stupid. (laughs) Continuing with verses 22 to 29 in Acts 15, we read, "Then it seemed good to the apostles and to the elders with the whole church "...to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter." Quote, "...the brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings." will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. Are you listening, American Christian? That you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality sex outside of marriage. That's what that says. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. (laughs) Pretty simple stuff, isn't it? And we hear of this spirit-inspired judgment yet again in Acts 21.25. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment, that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Mm. I think that's pretty clear that sex outside of marriage, pornea, is a bad thing. What do you think? We'll talk more about this as we continue our survey of sexual immorality in the New Testament when we get back. You're listening to Cross Defense. Hello friends, I'm Pastor Phil Boo, host of Thy Strong Word. Each weekday morning at 11 a.m., join me and a guest pastor as we explore God's word, which strengthens our faith and guides our lives. You can listen over the air, online at kfuo.org or through your favorite podcasting app. Just search for Thy Strong Word, only from KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Welcome back to Cross Defense as we continue our survey of the Bible verses in the New Testament that refer to sexual immorality. We have made it all the way through Acts, starting at Matthew. And now here we go with Paul in Romans 13. Verses 11 to 13 says, "Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly. As in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And as we saw in last week's episode, there's all of First Corinthians chapter 5. It's actually reported, Paul says, that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? This is directed to the church. And I would say the same thing to the American church. Ought we not rather mourn the sexual pervasiveness in our culture, which we used to say was a Christian culture, but how did this come about? How did the the neo-paganism arise if Christians were speaking both law and gospel to our Christian peers and neighbors when this country was Christian in culture, what happened? Hmm, it might be that the Christians weren't actually speaking the law to their neighbor when the law was required. But we were gospel reductionists and we wanted to keep everything on the positive note. We wanted everything to be gospel, 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 saying, as the prophets of old did, wrongly. Peace, peace, where there was no peace. And now we find ourselves in this predicament. Sexual immorality, sex outside of marriage, on all accounts, in all kinds of ways and avenues and fetishes and all the different perversions, runs rampant in our culture. And you are arrogant, Paul says. Ought you not rather mourn? church yes we ought mourn let him who has done this be removed from among you for though absent in body i am present in spirit paul says and as if present i have already pronounced judgment on the one who did this sexually immoral thing when you are assembled in the name of the lord jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting Christian congregation, who has no problem with sex outside of marriage, is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with the sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would have to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Let me ask you, Christian, church, cross-defense listener, might it be that this is the, the root of our problem? That the church went soft and thought we were mean if we were to expel, excommunicate the unrepentant sinner from among us. That we thought it was rude or not kind or a little unnice to remove the leaven that could leaven the whole lump. And so we have seen that it has indeed, just as Paul said, leavened the whole lump. Malice and evil have taken over not only the church, but the culture that the church should be influencing. Our light is very dim in the American culture. Denomination after denomination after denomination have fallen. And there are but a few who still speak the truth. Praise be to God, the light will never go out. But if we want to quit complaining about the state of things and actually change them, if we actually want to shine Christ's light into our dark culture, maybe we ought to actually read scripture and do what it says. Live according to what's written. And now moving into chapter 6, verses 9 to 20, Paul says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, All things are lawful for me. But no, no, no. I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know In, your body. In 1 Corinthians 7, 1-9, we read, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. Not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Referring to Numbers 25, Paul cites the example of the Israelites, saying, We must not indulge in sexual immorality, as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. In 2 Corinthians 12, 19b-21, we read, It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ, and all for your upbuilding, beloved For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish. That perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. Going to Galatians 5, 16 to 24, we see that Paul writes, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, it is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things as these, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, with its passions and desires. Think about that, my friends. Those who have crucified the flesh, those who are in Christ, we don't, we don't want to live sexually immoral lives. We're not being proud and trying to, to bring in a, a season of uh, summer of love or whatever they were saying in the 60s. We're not trying to, to hook up with our neighbors and Netflix and chill. We're not promoting OnlyFans and Pornhub and all the different things. We're not doing that. That's not Christian. We're not even okay with adults who are consenting of the age to consent shacking up with one another because that is to objectify another person. It demoralizes them, and it's not in keeping with what God says. It is, in short, sin. Ephesians 5, 1 to 5 says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Did you catch that? This is why the Catechism teaches that even what we say can be a breaking of the sixth commandment. Even our crude talk, even our our sexually perverse jokes, crass language about such things. They, too, are sin. Let's take another break. We'll come right back after this little break, and we'll get into the rest of the passages about sexual immorality in the New Testament. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Put this wisdom of God into practice by listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple. And faithful pastors from around the world help sharpen my faith in Christ every episode. I know you'll be blessed by listening and studying God's word with us. Listen to Sharper Iron weekdays at 8 a.m. on KFUO and on demand at KFUO.org, the KFUO radio app, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Colossians 3, 5 to 6 says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, top on the list, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. On account of what, dear saint? Yes, on account of sexual immorality, sex outside of marriage extramarital sex of any stripe. On account of this, the wrath of God is coming. First Thessalonians 4, verses 1 to 8. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passions of lust, like the Gentiles who who don't know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand, and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. And in his instruction to young pastor Timothy, Paul writes in 1 Timothy 1, 8-11, Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God, with which I have been entrusted. Jumping to Hebrews 12, 14 to 16. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. And then, here in Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 4, we read, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. What do you think, friend? Is the marriage bed held in honor when everyone's sleeping around, when teenagers are shacking up, when people are addicted to porn, When people are parading through streets during June, waving these idolatrous flags in God's face and ours? What do you think? Is the marriage bed held in honor when we have a Supreme Court ruling that says marriage includes man and man, woman and woman, these sorts of things? Is is marriage being held in honor there, my friend? No. When grandmothers tell their grandsons, when they announce that they're being They're they're engaged and they're getting married. Why would you do that at such a young age? Go, sow your wild oats. Do you think we're honoring marriage with such things? And that's a true story. No, we're not. Let us go now to Jude 5, 6, and 7. It's quite sobering. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Wow. That's some big heavy stuff there, isn't it? Yes, it is. And now we're finally to the last book of the New Testament, Revelation, for the rest of the show. In Revelation, sexual morality is vividly presented as nothing short of satanic, demonic, diabolical. All these words that you hear people say, and it is true. Absolutely. It is not hyperbole to call sexual immorality satanic, because that is exactly what Jesus calls it. Let's take a look at Revelation 2, 13 to 16. It says, I know where you dwell. This is a letter to the church, right? This is Jesus talking where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name, And you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality so also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. The teaching of Balaam, who caused Balak to stumble, you might say in a word that is compromise. That is to go along with the culture to not make a big deal about having sex outside of marriage. It is a very big deal. In Revelation 2, 19 to 25, we continue. This is emphasizing just how much Jesus hates sexual immorality. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. Sexual immorality is used as a very strong picture of just how satanic the world is and how it corrupts the church. Jumping to Revelation 9 20 to 21, we read The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Hmm, seems like sexual immorality is kind of a bad thing. Revelation 14.8 Another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. What do you think, Christian? Do you think those who bear the name Christ but then accept and promote sexual immorality, who don't think it's a big deal that people Netflix and chill or sell, sell their sex tricks on OnlyFans, march and pride parades. You think they think about Revelation 17, 1-6a, how it mentions sexual immorality. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who was seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality. And with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. And it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet. And adorned with gold and jewels and pearls. Holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman, drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. What do you think so-called Christians think of that verse? It clearly pits martyrs, saints of Christ who are holding faithful to scripture, not going along with all the sexual promiscuity we see today against those who are endorsing it. Those who say we're old-fashioned, who say we're we're hateful and bigoted because we hold to what Jesus says. It seems like revelation is kind of a, our story, right? Yeah. And it seems like it might wake someone up who's trying to promote sexual immorality, by saying, look here, even though this language is is picture language, even though we have symbolic language being used here, you can see that the symbol for the evil of the end is sexual immorality. And man, oh man, is our world not full of these abominations. It makes you wonder. It makes you wonder just how soon the Lord's coming. Lord, come quickly. Come, Lord, come quickly. Again, in Revelation 18.3 and 18.9, sexual immorality is portrayed as a horrendous evil. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. Do you think this crosses the minds of our politicians today? I don't think so. Why? Well, maybe it's because the church isn't telling Those who claim to be Christian, we don't have to worry about the outsiders, but those who at least bear the name of Christ and then are promoting sexual immorality, we could at least tell them of Revelation 18, 3 and 9. If you are a politician, if you are a governor, if you are a king of any sort, someone in this what they call ruling class today, which I hate that term, maybe we should speak to them and say, Hey, guy, you're in bed with the harlot of Revelation 18 you should probably stop. That would be a loving thing, don't you think, to speak the law to these people? I think so. I think so. Revelation 21, 5b to 8 says, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. which is the second death. You know, it kind of seems like sexual immorality is a sin that we're supposed to contend against all the way until the Lord returns, don't you think? And how are we doing on this front, church? Are we turning a blind eye to those who are engaged in this oft-repeated sin throughout the New Testament? It kind of seems like we do, doesn't it? Revelation twenty-two fourteen to 21. The last words of Scripture. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers, and the the sexually immoral, and murderers, and idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood, as we see so much today. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The Spirit and the bride say, come, And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Well, we're at the end of the Bible and we're at the end of the show. So may the Lord be with you, my friend that with an equipped mind you can serve your neighbors with God's law and his gospel that they would come to repent of their sin and know the comfort of Christ Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins with that said I'll talk to you next week DEFENSE IS A PRODUCTION OF KFUO RADIO. FIND PAST EPISODES AND SUPPORT CROSS DEFENSE AT KFUO.ORG.